Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Greetings, church. It's good to see you if you're joining us online. We're glad that you're joining us as well. Anybody know that moving is stressful? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Sarah and I, unfortunately, are veterans at moving. In 12 years of marriage, we've moved 10 times. I know. Some of you haven't moved in like 40 years, right? So uh, there was this one particular move that um, I will forever have in my, in my memories. Um, yes, I have probably forgotten some of our moves because we've had so many of them. But on this uh, fateful move this one day, we were living on the west side of Cincinnati and we had plans to move on the east side of Cincinnati because we were serving at a church on the east side. And we wanted to live on that side of town and be able to be a part of the community and the neighborhoods that the people lived in that we were serving. So we were excited about the move. Now, here's the thing. Our, the rental that we had, it was up on uh, it was higher in elevation than the, the road was. So it was up on top of a hill. And the driveway that we had was pretty steep. And so um, I had a U-Haul, drove it up the driveway. Everything was fine. Definitely made sure I turned with an angle because the, the back bumper kind of sits low on a U-Haul truck. Um, and so we got up there, got everything loaded, and everything was going well until it wasn't. So I got into the driver's side and uh, was backing it out. And, uh, you know, we had a busy road that we lived on. So we needed to make sure that I did not uh, back into oncoming busy traffic and because that would defeat the purpose of, you know, moving because then I would be stuck. So I'm, I'm reversing, reversing, everything's going well, start to turn it so that I can get a good angle on the road so that I'm not, you know, going directly down and into the road. Um, so I'm going and everything's going fine until I start hearing some, some sounds that you just wouldn't expect to hear from a vehicle. And uh, all of a sudden, as those sounds get louder and louder and more abundant, um, the truck stopped moving. Not because I meant for it to. And so I got out of the truck, went to the back, and as the scriptures say, behold! <laughs> uh, the, the truck had become one with the road. I, I meant to drive on the road, not into the road. You know what I'm saying? You get the distinction. So, um, and did I mention that we were stuck in blocking a whole lane of traffic on a two-way street like just two lanes i was blocking it so um four hours later blocking the traffic we had finally figured out a way i was trying everything y'all i was like okay brandon you've seen the hulk movies just just tap into your inner hulk and lift the truck up that it only moved, I only was able to move it like an inch. I'm just kidding. It didn't move at all. Um, and, and so we were trying all kinds of things. We were just kind of like, well, how do, how do you, how does this even, it's so embarrassing. Everybody's like kind of driving by. I'm like, yeah, it was me. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and we didn't get cursed out or anything, but it, people weren't happy. You know, you could just imagine. Um, and so finally, four hours later, uh, the MVP of the day, he will love, forever live in my heart, my fellow, uh, my, friend and fellow pastor Nathan Hardesty will forever be in my heart as the MVP of that day because somehow, somehow he was able to uh, overcome physics and get us unstuck. 
there was something with wood and we had to leverage it and all this stuff. And it was, we, we finally, y'all, moving is stressful. No matter the circumstances. Amen? But moving stressful, like when you, when it's your idea, moving's also stressful. It's even more stressful when it's not your idea. Um, over the course of history, there have been people who would look at my moving stress as like minuscule because they had to move and it wasn't because they chose to, it wasn't because they were planning on it, but it was because they were forced to. In our day and time, right now, in uh, our present moment in history, millions of people who call Syria home have been um, taken out of their homes and out of their country and have had to move to other countries. Uh, as we speak right now, there are millions of people who call Ukraine home and have had to move countries, not because they wanted to, but because they were forced to. Um, and, and those people would know the stress of the move that the Israelites had to make around 586 BC because uh, they were forced out of their homes and out of their country to move to a foreign land. And that's going to be important for what we're going to be looking at today in Matthew chapter 1. We've been, for the last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at the, the first part of Matthew's gospel in the book of Matthew, and we've been reading through Jesus's genealogy. So hopefully that's been helpful and insightful, and we're going to wrap that process up in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew as we wrap up our first album of a series of albums as we walk through the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have that, go ahead and open it. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to see what God has to say to us today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. This is what Matthew records, uh, the last part of Jesus' genealogy. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Yep, that's it. Zerubbabel fathered Abiad. It's rough this morning. Okay. Abiad fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akam, Akam fathered Eliad, Eliad fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathan, Mathan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. So in this passage, um, I, I do have to admit uh, this one's going to be a little different because um, in all of the other portions of the genealogy that we've looked at thus far, the people we read about, many of them have their own accounts in Scripture. We know directly about their lives. This group of people, we don't know much other than about J- uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Outside of those people, the rest of these people, we don't really hear much of or anything of in Scripture. But there are two parts to this passage that I think we need to understand and to see in order for us to live in such a way that would honor God today and not allow anything to get in the way of that. And that is the first two parts. So the first part is in the very beginning. The last part is in the very end. And I want just want us to see um, what he's saying here. Verse 12, Matthew chapter 1, it said, After the exile to Babylon... After the exile to Babylon, as I already alluded to, there was a a thing that happened in the year 586 B.C. So 586 or so years before the arrival uh, and birth of Jesus Christ. 
Um, this is what happened. So the Assyrian Empire was currently in power and they were overcome uh, by the Babylonian Empire. And they were in Babylon and they traveled up north in Mesopotamia and came from the north down into Israel, out, down into the kingdom of Judah and, and took over. See, the, the Israelites did not have any match for the Babylonians at this time. And so the Babylonians uh, had a different kind of strategy when they took over a nation than, say, the Roman Empire did. The Romans would allow you to live in your homeland and they would just occupy you. They would change things in your own homeland. Babylonians weren't like that. What they wanted to do was to assimilate you into the culture of Babylon. So what they would do is when they took over a nation, they would take the people out of their homeland and move them into other cities throughout the vast Babylonian empire. So this is where we see uh, Daniel come onto the scene of history. It's uh, during the time of Isaiah, and eventually we see Jeremiah coming onto the scene of history. Um, eventually we see Esther coming onto the scene in this time. And so uh, can you imagine um, another nation coming in and taking over our nation and then forcing us to leave our homes, to leave our country, and to move to another place? Another place that was completely different than what you were used to, completely um, did, did not follow the same God, did not follow the same language, did not follow the same customs. And, and so you were forced out of your home. Can you imagine what these people and Jesus's genealogy in this part of it might have been thinking as they are living in exile away from their homeland? They had to move and, and they don't have any of their regular stuff. Can't go down to their, their typical Walmart. They had to go to some other place. They, they couldn't go down to the same uh, clubs and organizations because those were gone. You weren't there anymore. You had to go to another place. Can you imagine the things they would have th been thinking? God, what are you doing? Have you ever had moments in your life where what happened, what you're facing is not within the script that you would have written if you had the ability to write the script of your life? Have you ever been, have you ever been surprised by stuff? You ever been dealt with difficulty and you're like, God, where are you? This is not, this was not part of the plan. Now we know from scripture that what they were facing was because God was disciplining them. He was bringing judgment upon them because they were unfaithful to him. They were not upholding their end of the covenant that God made with them. They were worshiping idols. They were not being faithful. And so we know why it happened, but can you imagine being in it? Like, well, God, what are you doing? What is going on? Why, why are we here? What, what are you trying to teach us? And we see in, in the, in Jeremiah's ministry, God gave him a prophecy, which we looked at, um, in the triggered series around the politics part of what it looks like to live in the midst of a, of a world, in the midst of a society that does not have the same values as you do, does not worship the same God as you do. What do we do? God told them to be a faithful presence where you are, to work for the good of the city, even though it's not your city. It's where you live, so if it goes well for them, it'll go well with you. Um, and so God tells them to do that, and, and so they, they do. But can you imagine the heartache that they must have been going through? Can you imagine the questions that they must have been asking? A lot of questions that you and I have probably asked God to. Even though what they are, they, they are facing in this moment in history would have been vastly different than most of us have ever faced. And I think what he wanted them to see is that, hey, you're in exile, but I'm still working. That even though this is not going the way you thought it would, 
God's still working. Even though this is not the plan that you would have made in your own mind, this is not part of your 10-step plan to your own success, God's still working. Even though you're not in your hometown or your homeland, God's still working. Even though you're in a society that does not honor me, I'm still working. This is what God would have, I think, wanted them to understand. That no matter what their circumstances, no matter where they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter what they are facing, he's still working. And so eventually the Israelites got to go back to Israel. The Persian Empire had risen up and they had taken over the Babylonian Empire. And this is where Esther comes onto the scene because she's married to the king of Persia, uh, Xerxes. And, and he has the ability then to, um, he, he decides to, to give the Jews the ability to go back home. And so the Jews start to rebuild their, their homeland. But the problem is they never got back to a point of the prominence that they had under King David or King Solomon. So they were hoping to be their own nation. They were hoping to be able to be in a place of power and prominence, but they never got to be there. And so um, at the end of the Old Testament, the last book that we have in the Old Testament, the last uh, time God had spoken through a prophet um, as recorded in Scripture is the book of Malachi which we as a church went uh, through. We've walked through the book of Malachi, or as I called him, Malachi. And some of you uh, may not, you may have some weird feelings about Malachi because that is exactly what we were walking through when COVID, you know, everything happened. Um, but, but between Malachi and Matthew, between Malachi and the arrival of Jesus onto the scene of history was about 400 years. 400 years of God not speaking through a prophet, of God not showing up in the same ways that he had for Israel in the past. 400 years. And just because uh, God wasn't speaking through a prophet doesn't mean that people weren't trying to make sense of things. So for 400 years, over the course of those 400 years, we have a lot of literature on what people were thinking God was going to do next. Um, the, the second part I want you to see in this passage is in verse 16. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. So we talked about the exile. It's good for us to understand what that was like um, for them and the, that part of the history of God's people. Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. We get to the point where Jesus is born. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the... What's that word, church? Who is called the Messiah. Uh, so that's the Hebrew word. Messiah means anointed one. The Greek word is Christ. Um, anointed one, a good translation, as we've talked about, and you guys are going to uh, probably maybe get tired of me saying this, but oh well, get over it. Just plug your ears if you have to. Um, it means king, Messiah king. It's important for us to understand what, what, what the people were thinking about when they were thinking about what the Messiah would be, because that changes how, what you anticipate God to do changes what you look for. What you think God will do changes what you expect God to do. It's very simple, right? So what if, instead of them looking at what Scripture was saying, what God himself had said that the Messiah would do, what if they started thinking, okay, this is what we'd like him to do? And then saying, okay, if this is what we'd like him to do, then we're going to just, over time, say this is what God's going to do. Not that none of us have ever experienced that, but that is what they started to do. So they, instead of looking at what God was going to do or got, what God said he would, he would do as the Messiah, what, bringing the Messiah in, they started thinking about their own ideas. And, and here's some, what some scholars have said about the Jewish perspective and expectations when it came to the Messiah. 
Uh, Merrill C. Tinney said this, in all of this literature, the literature between Malachi and the arrival of Jesus, in all of this literature, the Messiah is nowhere represented as suffering for men or as redeeming them by his personal sacrifice. Never. That's not their expectation at all. Albert H. Bayless said this, that Messiah would come without restoring Israel to nationhood was unthinkable. They, they thought that the Messiah would merely be a political figure who would bring them back to prominence. That he would be a king who would reign, who would get for the people who were living in the first century um, under Roman rule. He would be someone who would defeat the Romans. N.T. Wright said this, what nobody, no, what nobody expected the Messiah to do was to die at the hands of the pagans instead of defeating them. To mount a symbolic attack on the temple, warning it of imminent judgment instead of rebuilding or cleansing it. And to suffer unjust violence at the hands of the pagans instead of bringing them justice and peace. The crucifixion of Jesus, understood from the point of view of any onlooker, whether sympathetic or not, was bound to have appeared as the complete destruction of any messianic pretensions or possibilities he or his followers might have hinted at. In other words, even the apostles, when they were following Jesus, the rabbi, and they started to understand what he was saying, that he was declaring himself to be the Messiah, their expectations were, Jesus, when are we going to go to Jerusalem? When are, we gonna, when are you going to come into your kingdom? Hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I stand on the right and the left hand of you? Can, 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 we, can we be a part of this? And when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday... On a donkey, the expectations of the people were that he was not going to go to the temple to judge them, but he was going to go to the palace to drive them out, to drive out the Romans. That was what everyone expected. Not because that's what scripture said to expect, but because that's what they wanted. That's all they could see. Sometimes when you go through difficulty, what you want God to do is in the end of the day, not the best thing for God to do. He has the bigger picture. He has the bigger perspective. And what they forgot was exactly what God said the Messiah would be. So let's look at that. I want us to understand, to walk away from this short three-week period with an understanding of what Scripture says the Messiah is to be. Because what we see uh, Matthew developing the rest of his account of Jesus' life, which we're going to walk through, is exactly what we see Scripture declaring the Messiah would be. Why? Because Jesus is exactly who God wanted to be the Messiah. God came down and declared himself the king. And so this is what um, Scripture actually says the Messiah was going to be. And this is what the Jews missed especially over, the, over those 400 years of silence. So Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, this is what it says. Isaiah speaking 600 years before the arrival of Jesus. Okay, See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. As I read this, just think about who does this remind you of? Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Verse uh, Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. 
He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before his, her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was a rich man. He was with a rich man at his death. And because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. So that's what Isaiah proclaims from God himself, the Messiah would be they would expect this person to come in and to be willing to suffer for the sake of others contrast that with what they expected and you see two vastly different pictures see what jesus came in to do was to be the guilt offering to be able to to make a way for us to be able to come into the presence of god not because we are perfect because we're not but to be able to come into His presence with boldness as children of His, as children of God, because of what Jesus did. He made a way to be able to usher us in. Not only is Jesus the King, but He's also the High Priest. And He's also the sacrifice that the High Priest made. And because of His sacrifice, we are able to boldly enter in because the priest welcomes us in to the throne of God. He's made a way for you and I to be able to be justified before God, to be able to walk into God's presence and be welcomed because we are covered by his blood. Jesus is what we would have expected. What we see in the book of Matthew, what we see in all of the gospel accounts is what the Jews should have seen, but they missed it. And the question is, when things are going difficult, when we start questioning, God, what are you doing? Are we always able to see him working? Or do we sometimes have our expectations cloud our ability to see him doing what he's doing right now in our midst? We should probably give him grace because they do what we tend to do. That when things are difficult, we start to question whether or not God is there, even though he's been there the whole time. Um, so not only was Jesus going to be the suffering servant, as we read in the book of Isaiah, but he was also expected, the Messiah was expected to usher in a new covenant, a new way to relate to God, a new way to be in relationship 
with the God of the universe. And this is what Jeremiah, who was a, a contemporary of the exile, he lived through the exile and was ministering to God's people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31, this is what Jeremiah is prophesying that the Messiah would be. He says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, God was doing something completely new, completely unique, because he was making a way for us to relate to him in a brand new way. And Jesus is the one, he alludes to this on the night of his betrayal before he's arrested and crucified as they are in the Last Supper, the Passover, them celebrating that. He says, take this cup because this cup is the cup of the new covenant. And and when you drink it, understand this is what I'm doing. I am going to usher in a new agreement, a new covenant, a new way to relate to God to where you do not have to go to the temple and have a sacrifice every time and to bring it to the priest so that he can uh, make uh, atonement for your sins and you have to do that time and time and time again because that sacrifice was never sufficient. Instead, what I'm going to do with you is I'm going to make a once and for all sacrifice of myself. And now that you are going to be in this covenant relationship with God, because of my blood, you will be able to go into the throne room of God. You can go to God and worship him in spirit and truth at any time. That means you don't have to go to a place to worship God. You can worship God right here and now. You can worship God wherever you are. You can pray to him wherever you are because God has made a way for his relationship and your relationship together to be restored. No longer broken, no longer fractured, but completely renewed. And that is what the Messiah came to do. That's what we're going to see Jesus doing over the course of the book of Matthew. But can you imagine, like I just have to go back to this, because that, while that's what we um, can see in Scripture when we are being able to take a step back and be able to look at the history of God's movement in the world, um, Can you imagine, I just think, if Jesus could have spoken to his ancestors, especially in this time where we don't know much about them, but we we do know that they were in exile, that they were probably asking lots of questions of God and probably uh, being surprised about God not showing up in the way they hoped he would because they're people just like we are. I just imagine like Jesus saying, hey, just stay faithful if you only knew what I'm doing. If you only knew what I'm doing. See, what the Jews missed is the exact covenant, the exact promise that God made with Abraham before. See, God wasn't going to just do something that would help Israel be Israel for the rest of their days. But he wanted to do something brand new because it was an old promise that was going to be having a new fulfillment. And the ultimate fulfillment is that he made a promise with Abraham and said, Hey, it's going to be through your offspring that I will bless all the nations, all ethnos, all ethnicities of the world through your offspring. And the offspring that we see being the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus himself. So God's mission was, Israel was a vehicle to make God's mission happen and Jesus was the fulfillment of it. God's mission has always been for all people everywhere to be able to have an opportunity to join God's family, to have an opportunity to be in God's presence. 
if you only knew. And I just have to think, like I think about my own life. How many times would God have shown up? Like think about the past. Think about the times where, where you thought like, oh my goodness, God, what are you doing? Oh my goodness, what, how is this going to work? Those moments of despair, those moments of fear, those moments of, of frustration, those moments of like, what are you doing, God? Those moments of, 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 of deep sadness and sorrow. You're like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? You don't even seem to be here. Think about those times. And think about now when you see the other side of it, all the things that God has done. God saying to you, if you only knew, would you go back to yourself those times when you're thinking about those things that are in your head right now and say, if you only knew, I know it's hard, but if you only knew what God's going to do, if you only knew what he's doing, if you only knew what he knows, if you only could see with eyes of faith, if you could only see what he's doing. I think back to my own life. Think about it for you. I think back to my own life, like um, early teenage years and, and, and late teenage years, like just kind of going through a complete transition and transformation of my whole life and, and being uh, kicked out of the house and, and, and just dealing with uh, levels of abandonment and, 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 and just frustration and depression and, and sadness and sorrow and just going, laying down at night and just not knowing like what to believe and what to understand. Like, God, what are you doing? I didn't know who God was, but I was praying and like, what is going on? Laying there and being overcome with tears and sorrow and sadness because I thought the people who were closest to me growing up, that they were going to be the people who were going to be close to me the rest of my life. And now that there was separation, that didn't make any sense. And having moments where you're just overcome by tears. And having moments where I'm so exhausted because of the pain. And I'm sure some of you have been here when you're so exhausted that you're too exhausted to even cry. When you're just overcome by frustration, you have moments of rage because you are frustrated at what's happening. Have you ever been there? And if I could just go back to that young guy and and tell him, if you only knew, if you only knew what God is doing in your heart right now, if you only knew the compassion that he is developing within you, if you only knew that he's going to meet you and he's going to show himself powerfully to you and that one day you're going to be able to use all these life experiences, all these moments of pain, all these moments of sorrow in a way so that you can minister to someone else who's going through deep pain. If you only knew that he's got something in store for you that you can actually tap into the purpose in which why you are even created. Brandon, if you only knew how many times do we need to be reminded that God sees the bigger picture and even when we don't see it, he's still working. How many times? I know that to be true in my life that even in the midst of the most frustrating moments, whether you put yourself there or someone else did something to put you there, if you only knew he's still working, I know he might not have done it, but he's going to use it. He might not have done it, but he's going to work it. He's going to, he's still working. I know like that. If you think about these people going through exile away from their homes, away from their homeland, if they only knew what God was doing through them, if they only knew what God was going to do through this moment, if they only knew, How many times do we need to be reminding ourselves of that if we only knew? I know you're you're frustrated and, and, and you've got a lot more questions than answers in this season of your life. But God's still working. If you I know that you're so exhausted and so tired, you don't even know what questions to ask, even though you got a lot of questions that need to be asked. You just don't even know what to ask. I know that's where you're at, but God's still working. 
I know that you've been frustrated by your circumstances, but God's still working. I know that you've been frustrated and, 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 and dealing with, with what is in front of you, and it seems to be so overwhelming. It's so big, and you can't deal with it. You can't move it no matter how many times you try, but God's still working. I know that there's been moments in your life where you are, you are looking where, where you came from and, and you have so many regrets from your past. You have so many frustrations in the past that you, you, you get overwhelmed by it and you're like, what do I even do in the present? Y'all, God's still working. I know that there are wars and rumors of wars right now, but God's still working. I know that the infl- inflation's going through the roof and your investments are going into the basement and down even below that, but God's still working. I know that frustration is coming. I know I've been there, but God's still working. I know that there's pain, there's sorrow, and sometimes there's so much pain that we don't know what to do with it, but God's still working. I know that there are moments in your life where you don't know where to turn, you don't know what to do, that everything in you is just too much to deal with. But you need to remember, God's still working. Y'all, God loves big butts, and he does not lie. But God... But God, I know you've been there. I know you're struggling, but God, this is something that I want you to remember and preach to yourself. How many of you know that we need to preach the good news to ourselves on a daily basis? If you're living it, if you're trying to follow him, you know it to be true. Here's to, here's something to preach to yourself, but God's still working. I know you're overwhelmed by work or by the kids or by family, whatever it is but God's still working. I know you don't have all the answers you want, but God's still working. I know you're not who you know that God wants you to be. I know you still got room to grow, but God's still working. Sometimes when we get so overwhelmed by the pain, so overwhelmed by the frustration, so overwhelmed by unmet expectations, we could say, to say, oh God, where, where are you? What are you doing? God's always been there working his plan. He worked it through exile. He worked it through pain. He worked it through complicated situations. He worked it through the messes of life. And he continues to do that today. God's still working. No matter what you're facing, you can remind yourself that even though that is maybe true, even though it's really hard, even though you don't see the path, step back and remind yourself. But God is still working. Because that's true for all time. He's still working. Friends, so that what that means is he's the one who is worthy of our trust and worthy of our uh, surrender, worthy of our worship. So that means no matter what you've got today, I want to encourage you to bring it to him, to bring it to the throne, to bring it at the foot of Jesus And say, God, I've been trying to carry this. I've been trying to figure it out. And while I know that you've given me some stuff to carry and you're calling me and you're walking with me through it, I want, God, I need you. I need you to just remind me that you are doing something through it. Whatever it is, I just want to encourage you to surrender it to Him because you can trust Him with it. Because even in the midst of the darkest moments of your life, God is working all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. He might not have caused the pain, but he's going to use the pain. You might have caused the pain to yourself. You might have caused the pain to someone else. Someone might have caused pain to you. Understand, God's still working. So I just encourage you in this moment, we're going to pray here in a minute. 
I want you to just take some time and give it to him. Because it doesn't matter. Like we've, We all go through stuff. Moments in life that is unexpected. And I think this is why we're going to go through this book of Matthew so that we can see what Jesus said he's going to do and see what he did so that we can have a right expectation of what God's going to do in our present. Because when you have expectations that are unbiblical, oftentimes you're going to be let down on what God does because he always does what he says he will do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know um, that this, this world that we live in is, um, is sometimes messy. Um, th- this uh, mind we live in is sometimes messy. Um, sometimes the circumstances, Lord, it's so easy for some of us, I'm sure most of us, it can be so easy for us to get um, just tossed by the winds and the waves of this world. Um, God, I'm sure for the people who went through the exile and were taken from their homes, taken from their, their homeland, that it was really hard in moments to just see that you're working in the midst of it. But God, thank you for giving us the, the scriptures so that we can see that you are faithful. We're the ones who usually, usually are unfaithful. God, when, when we feel alone or like you're not there, would you hear us as we cry out to you? Would you draw closer to us as we draw near to you? And God, for those of us who are in this room who are carrying lots of stuff, who are at home, who are carrying lots of stuff, who are uh, overwhelmed by some circumstances, God, would you, um, would you empower us right now by the power of your spirit to just to hand them over to you? To let them be in your hands and to trust that whatever the future brings, you're going to be with us through it. You're already there. You can already see it. God, we, uh, we ask you to just guide us in every step of the way to just be able to take the one faithful step forward that you're calling us to. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. And church, if you agree, you said, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.